Okay, ladies and gentlemen, let's discuss the most disturbing aspect of recent presidential campaigns, which is that some candidates talk about and introduce and pr promote socialist themes. Spreading the wealth, building the economy from the bottom up, punishing the greedy fat cats, adding more and more regulation on top of the regulation we already have. A little of this talk goes a long way. Almost immediately you are into a major deception. These people claim that they are doing these things for the little people, the masses, the workers, but those are the very people that will be damaged the most. There is only one way to improve the lives of the great majority of people. You encourage them to obtain as much education as they can possibly use. And then you create a dynamic economy where people can find jobs that fully use their abilities. Note that the formula is very simple, education and jobs. We had been pursuing this formula throughout the country's history. It's the reason for our huge success. There are two requirements that let the formula work. You have a stable, legal, and regulatory environment. And second, you have people capable of starting and building and running businesses. Now just observe for a moment how socialists, all the while claiming to care about the people, try to destroy every component of this success story. They dumb down the educational system, which is my special concern. They foster over-regulation, litigation, and economic unpredictability until everything becomes a swamp. Finally, they denounce and penalize precisely those individuals most essential to the formula of success. Stand back and look at the grand pattern. You will have to conclude that socialist rhetoric is typically a gimmick, or it's all too often a gimmick, for gaining votes and power. It's dishonest, clearly so. The immediate result of every policy you endorse in this area is that you will hurt the people you claim to care about. It seems I've been working on an essay for years titled The Psychopathology of Everyday Socialism. Now that that title is a pun on Freud's title, and uh, graduate students will think that I'm clever, possibly. Now, it's always seemed to me that socialists, precisely when presenting themselves as superior, socially conscious saviors of humanity, reveal a bleak interior landscape. The main activity there seems to be a lust for power. I've always suspected that people seek power precisely to the degree that they have nothing else to be proud of. Karl Marx is the poster boy for this psychopathology. It's striking to realize that all the way back in 1848, when the Communist Manifesto was written, and the country of England was still by our standards hopelessly poor, Marx actually wanted to kill the top 10% of the population and divide up their wealth. He said he wanted to commit mass exterminations in the name of fairness. Of course, he'd be the guy up there in black robes sentencing the people who needed to die. Intellectuals, often praised and spoiled in their younger years, have a sense of entitlement. They are smarter than you, so they should be able to boss you around. It makes sense to them. Meanwhile, there is that group that we call the doers, the builders, the people that create businesses and increase wealth. The typical left-wing intellectual resents these people to a childish and petulant degree. 
The person of action doesn't care about the intellectuals, hardly knows they exist. But the intellectuals are keenly aware of their inferiority in the everyday world of big homes, fancy cars, and beautiful spouses. So they plot. Socialism, I submit, is too often the fancy name for that plotting, that scheming. The idea that you can transform an economy from the bottom up is probably silly. Give an ordinary person a thousand or even five thousand and you will certainly make them happier for a few days or a few weeks. They can pay off some credit card bills, have a few fancy meals, buy a new suit, add a sun porch or take a trip. You may give the economy a boost, but you will not fundamentally change the society or anyone's life. No, you do that by making sure our schools are first-rate academically. Aside here, get out of the way, so-called educators. And you make sure that our entrepreneurs and people generally can follow their dreams. In other words, that it's feasible to follow their dreams. Now, personal note, I can speak so breezily about this ominous dichotomy because I've been on both sides of the equations. Here's one of the things that saved me from becoming a sickly socialist soul. Thomas Jefferson said something that made me sit up straight. What should you do if you find that your opinions are at variance with the opinions held by the great majority of people? Consider carefully, O oh you intellectuals. Thomas Jefferson, a brilliant man, said that you must change your opinions. Now here as a way of closing is the real danger, the real nightmare of communism and socialism. You might be tempted to go down this road, but be warned, it's almost impossible to get back. Look at what happened to the Italians under Mussolini. What happened to the Germans under Hitler? What happened to the Russians under Stalin? And what happened to the Chinese under Mao? This is no joking business. Millions of people were murdered in these stupid endgame these cancer societies, as you might call them. They have all these rules and nobody can rewind it. Nobody can get out. And the people at the top, in order to hang on to power, enforce the, their rules more and more aggressively. And so you have Stalin running prison camps with millions and millions of people in them, in the gulag. Now, if it scares the heck out of me, maybe I'm... Uh, a little too nervous, but I recommend that everybody be careful about going down that road. Okay, thank you. Overview. Let's Fix Education explores seven of my favorite themes. First, this podcast is a meditation on what I call the K-12 crime scene. So many destructive ideas. Understanding them is the key to fixing them. Two, by doing that, we will have better schools at less cost. Three, nothing much changes decade to decade. The big questions of the 1930s were the big questions of the 1960s and the 1990s. Any subject we discuss can easily intersect with any other subject. Most people instinctively want traditional education, but the education establishment fills classrooms with progressive gimmicks. The result is that we have a standoff, and that's why you run into the same ideas over and over. Four, 
the big brains in education keep t telling students, don't bother memorizing this or that. You can look it up later. B.B. King, comma, the great guitarist, is much smarter. He said, the beautiful thing about learning is nobody can take it away from you. Five, Lennon's ghost wanders through our school system. The hard left thinks big. If they have to kill millions of people to build their perfect society, that's okay. Same goes for dumbing down millions of students. Totalitarians want power. They will do anything to get it. Six, if we are going to survive, we have to take each child to his or her limit. As it is, we are creating millions of sub-educated students from K right through college. Seven, analyzing education, especially dysfunctional education, is a lot more intellectually interesting than most people suppose. You'll enjoy this. Finally, P.S. My book, Saving K-12, runs parallel to everything discussed on this podcast. I also have an education site, improve-education.org, with 70 articles that complement everything discussed here. And I have hundreds of articles on the Internet. Enter a topic in Google with my full name, Bruce Dietrich Price, and let Google make suggestions. Thank you for visiting.